We need the community to have more of the educated folks doing the talking and less of the folks who got a little bit of knowledge from some source, whatever it might be, doing the talking. You understand this stuff inside and out. You understand it thoroughly. You understand the business credit. You understand the taxes. You understand tax planning. I want to hear what you have to say, not what somebody who hasn't taken any of those courses has to say about these things. I want to hear what Charles has to say about whether or not there's a recession coming, about whether or not we should be looking into these stocks, about those different things, because you're going to sound crazy in the moment when you're telling folks that like, hey, that might not be the stock to buy. Tweet Talk episode 135. Are we on the Tweet up what it sounds like to be the best. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Yes. Build wealth, invest, own, and close the wealth gap. It's time to break down these financial concepts with your host, Mr. Todd Meganer himself, Charles Oglesby, and Raphael Husband. Yeah. Welcome to Tweet Talk. My name is Charles Oglesby here with my co-host, Mr. Ralph Millie. Welcome to Tweet Talk where we discuss black wealth and we break down these tweets. What's going on, Raphael? Man, ain't nothing, man. Be chilling here on a Sunday morning, working, working, putting, making that content, getting ready to share some good stuff with the world. What's going on in the capital world? Uh, You know, nothing, nothing, nothing real exciting. I can't really say anything it's like, oh, yeah, this is cool and it's happening. Um, I might be flying to Detroit tonight, though. You wonder why? Because these fools, they just take forever to do anything. He sent me some pictures of the house, and they're still mudding it. I was there two weeks ago. They was mudding it. Nine to five landlord who's our guest. How long does it take to mud a house? 2,000 square days, man. couple days. Not a couple weeks. And they think I'm crazy. If I get mad, I'm crazy. I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to just show up, and I'm going to paint the house myself. I know how to paint. I know how to put floors down. I'm going to go there from Monday to Thursday. Monday to Thursday, I'll get that house painted and get the floor done. I guarantee it. I've done it before. I've done it before. Say myself $10,000. They slow and they be charging the most. Anyway, that's what's going on in the world of Tweet Talk. Is I'm trying to get this house to the finish line, and these folks are not cooperating. They be doing multiple stuff. It's just, it's just real unprofessional, real ghetto stuff, man. Like you can be working a job and then going to another job. Like there's a reason why your job had you at the job. There's a reason why your job has you at the job, right? You can imagine if you walked into your office and you was like, "Oh yeah, I'm here to work." But wait, I, let me go to my other job real quick. That's how these contractors do your work. Let <laughs> me at the other job. You calling trying to get status updates? Like, oh yeah, I'm over here working on this roof. I, I hired you to do this over here. Finish that first. So that's where I'm at, man. These folks crazy. These folks crazy. But other than that, you know, I got a chance to go to the Charger game last night. It was good to be back in the stadium. Um, we didn't win, but it was just cool to be in the environment. It's always a cool experience. Ain't nothing cheap in California, and I'm sick of it. I'm so tired of the expensiveness, man. It was $80 to park yesterday. That just $80 to park? That makes Whoa. no sense. And so what was cool is when I was there, I saw this little scooter um, lock up, and I got a scooter. And there's all these places in Inglewood that you can park for free <clears throat> that are safe. And I'm like, you know, a lot of people park and walk. So next time I go to a game, which is going to be two weeks from now, opening game against the Raiders, which is actually going to be perfect because my friends, they're going to be going to the game, too, and they're going to be tailgating. So I'm going to just take my scooter to their RV, just be scootering in and save myself 100 bucks. The most expensive, the, the most money I paid to park at a Charger game, I paid $200 last year. It wasn't a Charger game. It was the it was the um, 
the 49ers versus the Rams NFC Championship game. $200 to park. Not anymore. I got a scooter. Save myself uh, a buck. So that's what's going on in my life. Uh-huh. Be sure to follow us, folks, on Twitter at Tweet Talk Pod. That's P-O-D. Follow my man Charles on Twitter at Real Todd Billion. Follow myself, Raphael, on Twitter at Work Money Life. Follow us on Instagram at Tweet Talk Podcast and Todd.Capital. And today we got a guest, Tremaine. Introduce yourself and let him know who you are, brother. What's going on, man? I'm Tremaine, a.k.a. the 925 Landlord 414. Um, I'm an accountant by day. I currently own eight rental units between me and my lady, which consists of two triplexes and a duplex. And I recently went back to my nine to five because the entrepreneur thing wasn't working out and I didn't give myself enough time. But we can get into all of that. And I we also have talk about it. And I also have a course out called Nine to Five Landlord, and where I teach those processes and procedures I use to be a landlord while working nine to five. You know, I thought about going back to my job last night. I was driving through LA, <clears throat> and I was like, I miss LA, man. I don't get to go to LA that much anymore. I was like, I miss my job a little bit. <laughs> I haven't really right, come man. to the conclusion of whether I'm going back or not. I don't know if I want to go back, but it'd be boring out here. That's why I golf so much, but. I don't know. I don't know. We're going to talk about it. Welcome to the show, good brother. Long-time listener. Sure. Um, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they say when you, uh, when you go on those radio shows. <laughs> oh, man. Right, right, right. This is really cool. He was telling us the history of the Tweet Talk podcast back in the day before we bought the – before well, when we were working on the mobile barbershop that turned out to be a disaster. And then uh, what else? leaving the job, all that cool stuff. You know, I'll be trying to be for the culture. I'm always for the culture. I'm always for the culture. I just keep getting, I think, I think it's my fault. Actually, it's always your fault. It's my fault because I got to be less optimistic and more shrewd in my decision-making. And a lot of times I try to give folks the benefit of the doubt because a lot of times we don't get the benefit of the doubt, but some folks don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. Some folks just, just deserve the doubt. <laughs> you <laughs> doubt it until proven undoubtful. Some folks don't deserve the benefit because if you give them the benefit of the doubt, you're going to be carrying the burden of said doubt. And I don't want to carry your burdens. I got to carry my own dang burdens. And I got to still, you know, work through what I've already worked through to be out here carrying y'all. Not anymore. You get better doing business the longer that you do business. A lot of times we think like, oh, business owner, boom, great business owner. No, there is a timeline. You got to take time. I was thinking about this today. I don't mean to cut you off and let you get back, but I was thinking about this today. I was thinking about how the contract that I'm in with this painter might not have a clause that allows me to get out of that contract for any reason. And I was like, I need to start writing down terms that I need to have in every single contract. I need to have a, I can terminate the, the contract for any reason clause. I need to have that. They need to get the contract. They need to get this done in a timely fashion, or it will be either terminated or money will be deducted from the amount that they're going to be paid. I need to get all that stuff. I also need to make sure that I'm reading all the terms because they'll throw some stuff in there that they didn't, they were supposed to throw in there. And then now you guys are operating on two different planes. And so you become better at doing business by doing business. A lot of folks just, they expect to be this astute business person before they get into business, not realizing like we're going to figure it out. Another thing I was going to say is the next options course, two things. I am going to just continue to double down on options. That just needs to be where I stay firstly. And then second, my next option course is going to be fire. But what's crazy is a lot of people will judge you off your first product. 
we don't give folks the grace to evolve. And so the next options course, I'm already thinking it through. I'm already mapping it out, outlining, using my book of reference. And it's like, okay, the first course, it did okay. But the next evolution is going to be fire. And I had to take some time to sit down and figure out what it's going to look like and outline it and do it better. That's business. But what I'm realizing is most folks don't understand that. And so you still got to do business how business is done, even if folks from the outside don't understand that that's how business gets done. They're criticizing you on 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 iteration one. You're like, cool. All right. Be critical. Boom. Iteration two. They will continue to criticize Tyler Perry's new movies. The production quality was not nothing compared to his original ones or the films or the plays. It all evolves. We all grow. It's just a part of the process. I had to get that off my chest. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because um, when I first heard of Tyler Perry years ago, watched the tapes and he was just recording the plays, there's, there's no way you could see that he was going to get to where he is now. Couldn't imagine. I mean, it didn't pop in my head like, oh, this guy's going to be huge. I thought he was already big already. You know, he's going to be a billionaire buying out a whole patch of land and creating his own movie studio. Ooh. Massive studio lots and all that kind of stuff. Billionaire, you can see that happening. If you aren't inspired by his product, you got to be inspired by what he's accomplished in life. Have you seen that house? Everything he does is massive. The studio, massively impressive. The house, massively impressive. He don't really show his car collection, but apparently the dude has whips. I believe it. <laughs> For sure. Brother. Sure. So. This is your first time on the Tweet Talk podcast, man. We want this show to be catered around you because you have been listening to this show. I want you to kind of tell the, the listeners why this show has helped you, if not hurt you, because we convinced you to quit your job, and that was a mistake. I apologize. So <laughs> <laughs> listen to the show at your own risk. But no, um, <laughs> the, the show really uh, it helped me a lot because I feel like, you know, a lot of times, you know, with music, you know, albums, represent a place of time where somebody at, was at in their life, right? Like, so, you know, you can go back to Jay-Z's first album, Reasonable, you hear that's where Jay-Z was at. Well, similar to podcasts, it's the same thing. Like, you know, I feel like in episodes one through 10, Todd was kind of just starting out, just starting to get a little bit of options money. He got the uh, mobile barbershop, the dude lying to him. He kind of getting a gauge for him, but he's like, I'm going to benefit in the doubt, right? And then episodes like 20 through 40, it's like, okay, nah, he playing. So we about to do this. We not even playing no more. I'm getting a little bit more money. I don't know how I feel about this job, fam. I just made $1,000 in a day. That's crazy. So as I'm hearing this, I'm just like, damn, like, you know, he working a job, a respectable job, too. A lot of times people don't talk about that. People talk about quitting the job, but they don't talk about what they did. Like, bro, I was fields, on the golf man. course. Hold on. I was on the golf course and I was talking to some dudes and uh, they asked me what I did. And I told them that, like, pretty much I live off my dividends. And they were like, oh, cool. OK. I was like, well, before that, I was doing this. It was like, oh, shoot. I was like, I forgot I was actually that dude before I became that dude. That's the dudeness it transcends generations of my career. Anyway, that's the fact. But uh, like more importantly, like, you know, you was actually in a respectable career that you actually have to go to school for and learn that, you know, a few people don't talk about it. It's like, dang, you know, this guy's a lawyer. If he's getting money outside of the work enough for him to be the lead at, why can't I do that being an accountant? So it started to kind of go off in my head as far as the ideas it gave me to get into. So ultimately, I was doing tax returns for somebody. Um, I got to their Schedule E and they made like around $200,000. And when I seen that, a light bulb went out. I'm like, whoa, because all these properties was in the inner city of Milwaukee. So this is places I drove by. My, meanwhile, he lived in the suburbs. 
So I went to my uh, manager. I'm like, yo, fam, because he talks to the clients. I'm like, well, when you talk to these clients, you realize like I might be more smarter than them. Do you ever think you could do this, too? And he was like, well, we're accountants and they're real estate people. He pretty much just kind of shut me off. So and I kind of just like shrugged it off. But I began to binge listen to podcasts like Tweet Talks and the bevy of other things and just dove myself into information before I bought my first property. Yeah. But Tweet Talks made me lazy, though. They made me lazy because I was always thinking about what I could do outside of work, which took my focus off of work. So I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, you know, but I'm not sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry because I'm sure that your ultimate goal is to still get outside of that job. I feel like you just left a little bit too soon. So there's a lot to be learned from this that. The goal is still the same. The timing just might be a little bit longer out. And this is why I think it's important um, to work the job until you don't have to work the job. A lot of us, some of us, leave the job and then hope that what we're doing is going to help us stay out of the job. And I think that in a lot of ways, you can't do it that, that way. We don't have the benefit of that because we're not able to get funded by a parent. I mean, maybe you are, but I'm not able to get funded by my parents. I'm not able to get all these things from my parents. And when you really think about it, it ain't that much money. If you think about money the right way, like I could float my son two, 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 three K a month while he's getting his business together, but we don't have that luxury. So therefore we got to show up to the job. Um, and that's just the responsible way of doing, but there's more than enough time, but y'all don't, you can do both. You can be a dope employee and also be dope in business. Don't sacrifice. I promise you, you can. They only taking forty hours from you. You got a, another one eighty for yourself. Can you tell the folks what a schedule E is, by the way? Okay. Oh, so a schedule E. It's a rental. Uh, it pretty much sums up the amount of money you've received in rental income. So, has your rental income also has like your deductions, like mortgage interest, depreciation, repairs. It's you know real estate is really a tax shelter. So. That's what a Schedule E is. But you only made like $10,000 from his W-2 job. You had like $80 in interest and dividends. And I get the Schedule E and it's like $200,000. So when I seen that, I'm like, okay, let me look into real estate. And then I began to binge listen to like podcasts like y'all. And I was just like, F it. Because, you know, Tyler's always saying, don't be a little B. So I'm like, all right, I can't be no little B. <laughs> Man. Is there still echo? Are you guys getting echo from me? No, I'm good. Raphael's volume down. Raphael's muted. Yeah, muted. Maybe we got some comments in here. Uh, make sure you guys shout out your city in the state. We got Detroit in there. We got Detroit in the building. My brother Ramen in the building. We got uh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, by way of Flint, Michigan. And we got Julian Whitaker in the building. Raphael, where are these what tweets up? at, fam? I hope you got some tweets from my brother or some Instagram posts or something. That's the best content. That's the best conversation prompter. First, um, you guys were talking. You were talking earlier about the mud in the house. You had a tweet where you said, uh, "You better learn how to do some shit for yourself." F waiting on a companion. I think the same. So I'll be talking about things that you just want to do in life. If you want to golf, go golf. If you want to fish, go fish. If you want to do whatever, if you want to go to Six Flags, I say go to Six Flags by yourself. I was in the group chat and I sent the group chat. I said, hey, who wants to go to Six Flags? Nobody responded. A lot of folks would be like, I guess we ain't going to Six Flags. I'm like, I'm going to just have to go to Six Flags by myself. And you probably have a better time going to Six Flags by yourself than you would going to with a bunch of people that just didn't really want to go or kind of want to go. 
<laughs> and so that's what I took from that. But also, I mean, I do a lot of things uh, solo because it's just things that I want to do. And I'm not waiting on anybody to find me. But you know what I found also, and I think there's an accompanying tweet, is I'm actually in the process of joining what they call the Die Hard, the Die Hard Bolt Club. And the Die Hard Bolt Club is really just a group of season ticket holders that meet up and they do events and they have like their own flag. They have their own patches. They have all these really cool things. And so what I found is the more that you do the things that you want to do, even if you have to do it by yourself, you're going to ultimately find people that just enjoy doing it. I said, I don't want to make my friends golf. I want to find golf friends. I don't want to make people like if you are doing the thing and you're doing it consistently, you're going to find people that consistently do it. I'm a part of a black golf chat. They golf every single Tuesday. We'll probably be golfing tomorrow, either Monday or Tuesday. I'm going to hit them up because I need to go out. Um, but, like, that's just the thing is you're going to find those people. But also the same thing is true in business. And we were having a conversation with the brother yesterday, and he was talking about how he was trying to get his T-shirts ordered. And the guy was, like, delaying them and pushing it back, and he just said, I'll buy the equipment to do it myself. And that's how I, that's how I have maneuvered in business for like the length of my career. I needed to get a website done. The dude was trying to charge us money I didn't want to pay. I learned how to design websites. Um, somebody wanted to charge me a bunch of money for social media content. I saw they're just doing it on Canva. I do my own Canva graphics now. So on and so forth. But since I've already gone to a house and painted the house, the only thing I haven't done is texture the wall. And I've already seen how to texture a wall. I watched that on YouTube. But bye. But um, essentially, I have the skill set now. So when you do it alone, not only do you get to do what you want to do, but you also get the skill set that you can either reuse at a later date or you can teach somebody else or you can create your own contracting company. So it's better for you to do it yourself. It's better for you just to lay the floors yourself. Just make it happen yourself. No, that's a fact. I I think sometimes because of that same thing, people don't invest. Like, I think sometimes, you know, if you come from a family or a background of which, you know, it's not common to invest, you know what I mean? You don't right. have nobody to go to. That, like, you know, how was it when you did it? So a lot of times you might be apprehensive to just do it because you don't have that around you to where it's like sometimes you can't just look for it around you. You got to just jump and do it or, you know, reach out to those that is doing it. Like uh, before I got into real estate, like I said, I was listening to podcasts, but I also was reaching out to people from these podcasts that was in real estate. You get a mm-hmm. or something. So it's like, you know, if it's not happening around you, you got to reach out to where it's actually happening at and, you know, get that information. That's a big yeah. bar. Yeah, you made a good point. Like, you sit around waiting for your friends and your family to come invest with you and stuff. It's like, if you wait for them, you'll never get started. A year later, you, you don't want to, people ask you, yo, what happened, man? You, with this investing you're talking about doing, it. oh, well, I come for nobody else to do it with me. Mm-hmm. Right, really? and, and that's why you know, when, when they say being the first or the hardest, that's what they mean, because you're the first one to jump out to do something. You don't have a foundation for how something is done. Like, you know, my family, I was the first one to buy on real estate. And now fast forward three years later, I got siblings that have done it. But it was the hardest for me because I didn't have nobody to look for to be like, well, what about this? What about that? I had to go outside of where my environment was to find information on that. Yeah. Um. I would, I, would, I would add to that that there's, there's no resentment or ill will towards anybody. There's just things that I want to do. So if you don't want to do them, that's fine. But I'm not going to not do them because you don't want to do them. It's what I want to do. 
It's going to make me happy. Your happiness is by you not doing it. A lot of people's happiness is by them just staying where they are and being comfortable and being content. And that's okay. That's just not how I drive my happiness. I drive my happiness by accomplishing things. Another thing that I'm learning in my class is there's like this certain like so stress. If you have too much stress can break you. But if you have not enough stress, then you can become complacent and start to atrophy. And so a lot of us seek a certain level of success or a lot of a certain level of stress, whatever that might be, 100 points, 200 points, 300 points. And so we add things on our plate so that we can have a reason to do something. We can have a reason to be motivated. We can have a reason to be inspired. And so some people, their stress tolerance might be lower than yours. And so they can't handle doing things like that. And so you just got to move past it. But again, I want to make sure that it's emphasized that there is no ill will like I got love for you, but I'm gonna be at this game and VIP making friends <laughs> at the tailgate. And I'm gonna have tailgate friends. Right. It's interesting because I saw Kevin Hart, he said that uh having money by yourself is boring. And it is, it really is, because there's a lot of things that like you can do that other folks can't do. And the only way that they can do it is if you pay for them. And sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But like it can be boring. And I think that sometimes like people kind of isolate you because they can be a little bit intimidated. And so it's, it's just an interesting experience to get to that point because we all aspire towards it. But like. We don't ever talk about like the negative effects of being in that space, how you can kind of be on an island, how you can kind of be lonely a lot. You can't really relate to a lot of people. A lot of people don't relate to you. A lot of people just kind of distance themselves from you. So that's just an interesting experience. Um, I don't think it's talked about enough. No, it's mm. not. It's not. Um, especially like, you know, I'm in the Midwest, so the cost of living is cheap. So you cannot want, you can be content and still live an okay life here because the cost of living is not a lot. So it's like, you know, to want abundance or to want more than what the general, you know, norm is in this environment, you got to go out your way to see luxury, right? Like, you know, when I went to California for the first time, I seen Rolls Royces, G-Wagons, Bentleys, right? multiple i didn't i didn't tell you who was in what car but it's like coming from where i come from if you have that car you're the guy with that Bentley, the one so a lot mm. of times you know, when you want more you gotta go outside of your environment and you gotta be cool with being uncomfortable with going outside of your environment because you're not gonna always you know you're not gonna always feel right but it's still what needs to be done if that makes sense yeah for sure and charles was talking about the stress People don't want to get this, that stress, man. But it's like you can't grow without stress. It's like literally speaking, your kids—they talk about growing pains. That's a real thing. Like the body is put under a lot of stress. Growing these bones to go from one foot tall or one foot long to like six feet tall—that's not easy, man. And it's that's just like life, man. Like. To grow, you're gonna get stressed, man. You're gonna, you're gonna be stressed. And yeah. uh, there's a thing that that said that you know, hospitals busy. Hospitals busy time is the holidays, and that's usually the most stressed out time most people are in. So it's like you're going to endure stress. It's just, are you going to accept the stress that you're going to have to endure? But it's you know, think about the holidays. I mean, like you said, for hospitals, that's their busy time, which means that's the most people they have come in, and like a big majority of that is because of stress. It's fresh yeah. to have to do or provide. 
Stress is crazy. Um, I would say two things that I think it's interesting that you say that is like, I don't think that I'm I'm seeking stress as much as I'm seeking growth. So me getting the properties and the flips done causes growth. I'm not stressing just for the sake of stress. <laughs> We're stressing because there's growth attached to it. So I like that analogy. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is that one thing we have to understand about stress is there are certain things that cause stress, both good and bad, that we don't even realize are things. So, for example, um, in the class I'm taking, we have like a stress test that you take. And on that stress test, there's like 30 items. And there'll be items that you didn't really think were like stressful or like as stressful as, as, as you would think they are because they're kind of invisible. So, for example, it's like you have a family member who's sick. That's going to add stress to your life. Like if you have, you got like a, a traffic ticket, that's going to add stress. If you've got like, if you're drinking or you have a drinking problem, that's going to add stress. If uh, you started a new job, if you're commuting to your job, if um, you have a baby that's under three years old, like all those things are stress. And then you just like add up the total score to see where your stress level is. And so each wow. item signed a point value. And so the reason why I bring that up is because you could have all these factors going on in your life and not even realizing like how much stress you're under because you're just all you feel is the stress. You don't you can't really gauge the level of up and down of stress that you're under. And I think it's important to take that assessment. You guys can probably Google it. It's uh, called like a stress test and it'll just give you like 30 items. And I, I have them written down somewhere. But it's important to understand because you got to know where you are in terms of like the stress that you're under because your decisions are impacted by like where you are in terms of mental health. Like everybody always talks mental health and we talk about going to a therapist. There's other ways to assess your mental health that aren't just going to a therapist. Therapy is the easy thing to do. Everybody be like therapy, therapy, therapy. That's not, that's like using everything. When, when mental health is the issue, everything looks like a, like a hammer. When all you got is therapy, everything looks like a nail. Everything looks like a reason to go to therapy. Like fam, there's other things you should be doing. Look at the things that are in your life that are stressing you out. And then let's start to delete those things. Let's start to kind of get rid of those things. Let's start to actually be aware of the things that are going on in our life that are stressing us out. That, that, that's an interesting, interesting way of looking at it. That, that's cool. I never thought of it like that. Um, looking at your first. Hmm. So we got a question from the crowd. Julian asks, uh, they say that making your first hundred thousand is a bitch. Do you guys agree, or was it fairly simple for you? Also, what part made it simple or hard? Uh, I mean, I can go first. So my first hundred k, I didn't actually, I didn't take home a hundred k liquid. But as far as like grossing it, it wasn't part between my salary, and my rental income. Um, it was a bitch just because. Um, I had a baking unit that I had to fill, so I developed processes and procedures and screening and this tenant didn't work out or I can't have them move in. It was a couple of last minute cancels because I just didn't feel it right. But once I got the tenant in there and a good quality tenant in there, now it's easier because they on three different months which they lease in. So they lease in, they move out, okay, I'll fix that unit up, get somebody else in there. Again, four months later, downstairs tenant lease runs out and they move out, I'll get somebody else in there. So it's not like all at the same time. So I would definitely say that first 100K was definitely a bitch, but once yeah, you I, get, okay. 
I feel like that's true because in the beginning you were trying to figure out how to get the hundred K you're trying to figure out how to make this system work. Right. And then once you figured out how to make it work, now you've got to repeat that system. And so I would say that making the first is the hardest is because you don't know how to do it. It's just the uncertainty and quote the ignorance of not knowing how to get to that point. And so like for me, absolutely. You could spend five years trying to make that first hundred K in business. But then you can spend five days making the second 100K. Why? Because you figured out how to make the 100K. And once you learn how to make 100K, you can make as many as you want, as long as the economic climate exists that way. So, like, I would say for me, absolutely. We, Ty Capital, was four or five years old. And we were just chunking it out, maybe like three years old, chunking it out, trying to do the things that we saw other people doing. And then we landed on the thing that worked. And then we leaned on that thing. And so I would say absolutely that first 100K is the most difficult um, if we're using 100K as a benchmark. Um, but then following that, then it's just repeating the cycle. So I can't really give it's like kind of like figuring out a way to bake a cake. And all you got is like ingredients and cake baking videos and cake baking podcasts. And so you sitting there <laughs> and you like you don't got the recipe yet. All you got is ingredients. You just know, oh, they said I got to get a CRM. They said I got to get some sugar. They said I got to get some flour. They didn't tell you the measurements. So you put it in there, put it in the oven, waiting 30 minutes, come out, is gross. And then you do it again. You do it again. You do it again. And then once you figure out that recipe, the second cake, take you 30 minutes. The funny thing is, the first, everything is hard. Really. Mentally, too, like. First, you got to figure out, you got to decide that you're worthy to make the 100K. Like, and it's possible. First, everything is hard, man. Then once you once you hit it, you got proof of concept. You don't have to, you don't have to struggle every day saying like, can I, can I do this? Can I do this? You already did it. You already know it. Now you got the confidence and you can just move forward. And the thing is, along the way, you're building separate skills. Like, on the way, you learn how to sell. You learn how to lead people, you learn how to hire and fire, you learn how to train people. You add in stacking these little skills up that you may not even notice. You're just doing it. And like it you, you put it, you get more ingredients and you, you learn the recipe like that Charles was saying. And then from there, it's like now you got the you got the formula and everybody has their own formula too. Like you get formulas and recipes from other people, but you tweak it. Tweak it, you get your own formula and then you're good to go. Yeah, but even the tweaking process can take time. Um, right. it's like, it's not like, oh, I've, I learned this. I tweaked it a little bit. Boom. Sometimes the tweaking process is like, I tweaked it. That didn't work. Let me tweak it again. Let me tweak it again. Let me tweak it again. And so the, the moral of the story is push through and persevere and know that once you crack that code, the code has been cracked and now you get to stack. Now it's stacking hundred K's on top. He knows exactly what he needs to do. It's that simple. I know exactly what I need to do to do what I need to do as long as the economic environment is, is good. And the same thing is true with the stock market. The same thing is true with the stock market. Once you figure out how to make money in the stock market, you can repeat it over and over and over and over again. My method works over and over and over and over and over again. The only stock that my method didn't work with was Meta. Now, I don't know why Meta is not not uh, correcting upward, but it's going to eventually happen. Yeah. And along the way, and along the way, you start you you. You build a skills where that once you hit that target, you 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 know the patterns now. You can recognize the patterns like almost instantly that you couldn't see before because you had to go through it. 
No, Tremaine, you, you had a post on Instagram. I guess you were talking about, you, you mentioned that Schedule E earlier. So I guess you had a post talking about the Schedule E and explaining what it is. And somebody left you a comment hating, like saying like, so you're telling me that these landlords are already making all this money off the tenants and then they get to get these tax breaks too. <laughs> so, and then they're not even using the money to, to fix the properties. They said this shit should be illegal. You remember what I'm talking about for me? Yeah, I remember that vividly. Um, One thing I took from that post is when it comes to things that people don't like, they'll take an outlier experience and run that across why it shouldn't happen, right? Like, you know, if somebody, like, you know, McDonald's, for example, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you get bad food one time, if they have franchise, you're going to be like, no, I don't eat there because I experienced this at this one restaurant. I think it's the same thing with what he's saying as far as landlording. Like, he might have probably dealt with the slum lord one time or maybe multiple times. But because of that, he's generalizing that across every landlord that he thinks or hears about, which is probably why he said that. But that's that point. And two, that's not really the case because, you know, when there's a $4,000 expense because your HVAC needs to be replaced, you know, the tenant's not paying that. When there's a plumbing issue in the middle of the winter and the pipes freeze, the tenant's not paying that. When there's an electrical problem with the wire and it's causing the power to go out, the tenant's not paying that. So it's like for the same reward we get on the back end as far as these tax deductions, we're taking on the risk. Yeah. I <clears throat> I'm shifting my business model from rental properties to seller financed um lease to purchase. And the reason why mm-hmm. is I think that because so one of the reasons why contractors take advantage of flippers is because they have the knowledge of what flippers are doing. And so like, bro, like you like it never fails. They always know what I'm selling the property for. And they base their estimate off of what I'm selling the property for, not based off of the true value of their labor. So every contractor, they know what that house is worth, They're like, oh, three hundred thousand dollars. And so what I'm finding is now land now tenants are starting to kind of be hip to the game. And they realize that there's somebody who is essentially getting cash flow off of their back and getting equity off of their back. And so they're maneuvering in a way to kind of F the landlord. I don't like it. It's just what I've been experiencing. And then I look at like wealthier communities and you don't see a lot of tenants in wealthier communities. And so my thinking is as the culture progresses, maybe we should aspire to be more like home builders or home sellers than landlords um, so that we can kind of let these people have some ownership and equity in what they what they might not be able to get if they're going through conventional systems. It's just what I'm thinking um, because I've just had a lot of really negative experience with the tenants lately. Um, they'll leave the house trash. They'll play the game where they'll have an expensive maintenance request right when the, right when the rent's due. They'll pay rent late. They'll withhold rent. It's just been a a, a headache. And I, I think that a, a lot of it, just like, I mean, with the contractors, it's like they just want a piece of the pie. They want to have a piece of the pie. Um, it's interesting because in America, a lot of folks are like very anti-socialism. But I think there's a lot of communities that do practice socialism. And socialism is essentially where the wealth is shared amongst all the people. Um, and so countries like China, I think Russia, um, I think I think Russia's communist and they most they might be communist as well. I think that they kind of have like the same concept. But that's why I always look at like people who are from like, like China and they're so wealthy, but they don't look like actual bosses. They look like they just got money from the government and they probably did. They got a bunch of money from the government. That's my theory. 
And so I'm thinking that we got to do the same thing for our people, man. Like we should be building wealth as a community to be shared amongst each other. Sounds crazy, but I think that you can't maneuver in America like a white person maneuvers in America. And I had this thought like, like last night, and it sounds real crazy, but they do different things different ways. So they might be cutthroat. They might be whatever, but we can maneuver like that. We got to maneuver a little bit different. We got to maneuver like immigrants and immigrants don't maneuver like that. Immigrants have a lot of cooperatism. Um, I don't, I, I know a lot of like Nigerian dudes that I went to college with, they all own homes and they were smart about buying their homes because they all bought fixer uppers. But not only were that, not only that, they got help from their family. You go to a Nigerian wedding, they just throw money at them. They just throw money Literally. at them. They Literally. want you to get into that position, right? And so then they're also helping you when you are looking to get a home. And so we we're having a conversation in the group chat, and this might be a little bit too personal. But we we're in a conversation in the group chat, and like it's me and some of my frat brothers, and they're like, "Oh, we're going to get steak. We want to get steak." And then one dude was like, "Oh man, y'all rich." And the Nigerian dudes, they are rich. They are good because they have parents who set them up to be in that position, and it's unfair. But you got to maneuver a little bit differently. And so as a community, I think we just got to be more uh, cooperative because if we don't, you're going to get robbed. It's like either help people not starve or get robbed. And it's sad, but that's just my theory. Nine to five landlord. The dude is a landlord in his name. What's your thoughts on that, fam? Um, Two things. One thing I was thinking, you bro, is you um, agree with me. Oh, no, I know. I know. I don't. But I'm going to explain to you why. I think you should have a liaison in between what you're doing in Detroit. And you got some connections up there, bro. I don't know why you would hit one of the people up and be like, yo, fam, I'll pay you this much a month. All I need you to do is on these days, give me a video walkthrough on what's going on. Because I feel like if your contractors know somebody will show up and is going to show up, they're going to be more accountable. That's one. Two. What I would recommend you doing is join some uh, some Detroit real estate groups, because for me, how I found my people is I go in these groups that's in my area and I search what I'm looking for. And when I search what I'm looking for, I'm able to see threads of different conversations about the same subject. So let's say I type in plumber. Right. I'll see mm-hmm. 50 different conversations and it's good or bad. Sometimes people be saying, hey, don't use him, fam. He's a snake. Other times they'll be saying, yo, this is a great person. And whoever I get to see the most, that's good. Okay, I hit them up. That's what I'm going with. So that has allowed me to hedge my risk as far as like bad contractors. But I would definitely say if you put a middleman between what you was doing as far as like boots on the ground, I don't think you would be flying out on like a day like today. You could just use that to pay somebody to just do your your little walk. Hit the Monopoly Bros up. That's a good point. Monopoly Bros too rich, man. They don't want to be doing no petty stuff like that. But they, they be in the area. They do be in the know. area. Monopoly Bros, if y'all watching this, man, I can use some help. And they're like qualified to do this stuff too. Yeah. They're going to walk through and be like, bro, this is wrong. What are you doing? Getting on their head. And Monopoly have- Bros, man. Let's get a partnership. Y'all yeah, already, yeah, y'all already got a partnership. Got a partner so. with them. That's what I'm saying. Like that, you can't be like, I'm going to give you $100. You got to bring them in on the deal. Yeah, I mean, but that, but it would be worth it for you as far as convenience because now you know right. that you got boots on the ground. It's not oh, I got to book a flight tonight to fly to left. It's like no, the price I'm gonna use on that flight, I'm gonna just pay that to the bros, and they gonna make sure the business right. And if something going wrong, they probably got contacts that can do the same work. Right, nine to five landlord. I hear you, man. I've had boots on the ground, and they've done all right. They've done all right, but I need to get some new boots. 
New boots. Need to get some new boots. New boots on the ground. <laughs> I want to touch on it real quick. But you were saying, um, maybe black folks should uh, transition out of being landlords and be more like home home sellers and whatever else you said. It's interesting. I always say like we gotta sell, like leave room for other people. Like we get, we start in on a certain level, master that, and move on to the next level and leave room for somebody else to come in and take our spot. Uh, as far as like the home selling and stuff is like another thing I think is black folks. We need to, some of us need to think beyond just working with our people. Like a lot of us want to, you know, we want to provide good housing for our people and working with our people. That's cool. That's what we should do. But we also got to think bigger and be like, yeah, I'm going to that side of town and I'm getting real estate over there and I'll be a landlord over there. They don't see people like me, but I don't care. That's, a fact. That's, a fact. that's honestly that's honestly my goal with this North End house. The <laughs> house next door to the house I'm developing, it's in the North End. It's right next to Wayne State, and there's like white family. There's like white family on one side, and there's like a bunch of white travel nurses. I was like, you know what? I want some white travel nurse tenants. They don't gotta be white. They get to be travel nurses. I just want higher quality tenants. Can I get high right. quality tenants? Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 inside money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. I'll do that. I'll get some higher. I'll, I'll do that. And I guess a lot of black real estate developers, especially when they started like a couple years back, the reason, the whole reason you got into Detroit is because the returns were better. Like people like HUD Estates and By the Hood, you know, were pounding that drum. Like, listen, the returns in the hood are better than anywhere else. So a lot of people rush into it. And I'm not saying it's a negative thing, but you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. No, now, okay. Tremaine, so you tell the story, you want to count it, you're looking at this Schedule C, and you're seeing the money that these landlords are making and the tax breaks. You go to your co-worker, it was a co-worker, right? Manager, yeah. Okay, so you go to the manager and say, we should be doing this. He says, ah, fuck, bump that. So what did you do? Like, what was your first step? How did you get into it? Uh, well, like I said, I just started listening to podcasts. Like I just so right, right. every day, but every day, like when I say listen to podcasts, I don't mean like one time a day. I mean if I'm working eight hours, that's six different podcasts. So y'all, Black Wealth Renaissance, Bigger Pockets, uh, just a bevy, real estate rookie. Um, it was just a bevy. Earn your leisure, like so. Every day was something new that was dropping. I was listening, so. And I would hear different people start. Okay, he got to the game. He did this. Oh, okay, this is where he messed up at. And it's like after six, seven months of that, I kind of had a feel for how I was going to start. But to go deeper, I'm the manager on commercial real estate. So he told say me what? that as in the basis to say to get back to work. But he owned real estate. He owned real estate on the side. I end up hearing that later. And I'm just like, damn, that's what go with your own gut and just go dive into it, man. But I could have let that stop me and been like, oh, well, maybe he's right because he's a manager. And it's like, Whole time he owned real estate too. Wow. So what was the first deal you did? Okay. So later on that year, so this is 2019, January when I got the bug. And then later on that year in um October, a realtor that worked with somebody in my family hit me up and was like, Hey, there's a three family that uh is off market. I know the seller. If you can come in and look at it. I looked at it, it was fully occupied. Um, the numbers worked. I did five percent conventional, so I had to live on one of the units. So I ended up buying it. And then 
uh, once I got accepted offer, I got what's called an inspection. When I got the inspection back, I didn't know how to read it. It was a older house and they were saying, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. I almost started to panic to be like, you know what? I ain't buying this house, fam. I'm out. I was almost out like two different times. But I ended up sticking through with it. I got the house. I closed on a January 2nd, 2020. And, you know, it's, it's been up since. But I remember when I first got my keys, they were like, did you talk to the tenants? You got your leases? And I'm like, what lease? Had to go to the document store, get three different leases, introduce myself to three strangers that I don't know, and then ask for the money at. But mm. I managed to do it. And then, you know, once I got that money, I'm like, damn, this is like the easiest money I've ever made in my life. So I've been addicted since. Hold on. So you bought a three family fully occupied. So you didn't house hack it. No. I, I OK. So let me just go further to it. So I had to figure out. So my lease at my apartment was running out in March. So I had to March. I closed January. So I had to March to figure out what unit was I going to live in. So Got the it. second month, it was a two, two, one, two bedroom downstairs, two bedroom above, one bedroom above that. I got it for 170. So um, I ended up the second month, the tenant downstairs, the highest paying tenant, she didn't pay and she didn't answer. So I went through my break, knocking on the door like, you know, well, what's going on, fam? She's like, I'm moving out. She's like, tomorrow. I'm like, but in my wow. lease, it said, you got to give me 30 days. She's like, family emergency. Where do you want me to leave the key? And I'm just like, uh, you can leave with the lady upstairs. So I'm driving back to work like, oh, shit, I got to figure this out. So once she got out, I literally did everything one at a time. Like, oh, OK, well, we need paint. OK, paint. Let's go to the store and buy some paint. Because, all right, we got to get this garbage cleaned out. OK, let me call the junk man. And then as we fixing up, I'm like, yo, that's a nice unit, fam. So we ended up moving into there. My mortgage was twelve fifty, and the two units above was paying thirteen hundred. So I was like living house free. That's dope. Like that That's dope. How much are you paying the rent before you moved into that place? Nine fifty. And so then, was this an FHA loan? Uh, conventional five percent. So it was nine. So I put down eighty five hundred. So living rent free. What did that do for you? Oh, it did a lot. Now, one thing that I do recommend is stacking those rents because I was so paranoid of what could go wrong because I never actually had a home. So I would pay the mortgage out of pocket and I would stack those rents. So I stacked really? that about the first year. So I had about like eight to 10,000, but I just sat there as just like an emergency fund in case anything went wrong. I like it. I like it. Hmm. That's cool. That's cool. Now, Charles, you were talking about, you know, moving on home seller developer all this kind of stuff you had a tweet where you said the bank has unlimited resources if they won't lend you money why should i yes and when you get money you need to move like a bank from now on if folks want money we pull in credit reports we call them references we doing all that stuff as you should because one thing when people think you got it then they think that you're their solution to their problems and you got to be shrewd with what you do for other people um i was on the podcast yesterday and the guy said yes is expensive telling you yes is expensive and you know what's interesting about some people man is it, it takes a lot of time to make ten thousand dollars and folks just expect you just to give it to them like oh that's it ten thousand dollars like no you know how hard it was to make that much if if if, if it was easy to just have ten thousand dollars liquid they'd all have it 
It is very difficult to have five figures liquid, Raphael. Most folks are working, grinding, shaving, sacrificing, penny pension. And they just like, just give me 10. You got it, fam. <laughs> and so you got to move like a bank, man. And you got to be okay with saying no to people. Like, you got to be okay with saying no to people and maintaining your peace. If somebody's mad with you over some money, you probably shouldn't have had them in your circle in the first place. Because your value is not the money that you can give to somebody. Your value is just who you are as a human being, that relationship, not what you can buy, do or give to somebody. In my opinion, I just think that like people are invaluable. Relationship are, relationships are invaluable. Relationships are massively more value than any money somebody can give you. We cut people off over bucks all the time. Huge mistake. He said relationships are how you get the money. So you want to cut off a relationship over a dollar when the relationship could get you multiple dollars. It just doesn't make any sense. So that's just a principle that I operate off of. I don't expect other people to operate off of that principle. That's just what I do. But yeah, I was, I was had that thought when I was driving. I was like, you know what? That's a smarter way to do it. You need to really check people's resources because I put it, I put out this, uh, this TikTok, and it was talking about how like, um, there's this, there's this Drewski clip. And he's like, as long as I get it back, as long as I get it back. And so I recreated that one. And I was like, when people ask you for $10,000, but they never had a thousand dollars saved. <laughs> how am I going to get it back? You ain't even giving it to yourself. How are you going to give it to me? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. What do you say, Tremaine? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that's kind of how you got to play it. I think sometimes, sometimes when you have survivor's remorse, you can operate like you got survivor's remorse, meaning you give everybody that's like, you know, your complexion or your background a break. And it's like, you ain't had that break when you came up. Not saying that like you gotta have it three times, they gotta have it equally as hard, but it's like sometimes people don't need breaks so they can really realize if that's what they want to do or not. Like if a break is causing you mm. to do or not do something, you probably shouldn't be doing it. But I think a lot of times when you go through a lot to get to where you at, the whole thing is make it easier, make it easier, make it easier. And it's like sometimes we try to make it too easy for people where it's like they gonna quit anyway. It's just taking is whatever problem they're going to run into is going to cause them to stop. So it's like, I don't know if making it easier for everybody is the solution to really get in there because you got to want it. You got to want to go through those problems to really do it anyways. I just, it's funny because sometimes I assume that people who haven't gotten a break were grinding as hard as we were. And a lot of them weren't. I knew I just needed boom and I'd be there and I could never get boom. And so sometimes I'm like, let me just give that to them, not knowing that they watch TV all damn day or they aren't willing to go to work and go to school at the same time. They aren't willing to work a job and then work another job and then work another job. They aren't spending their free time studying and learning and growing and listening to podcasts. And so it's just interesting because it's like we a lot of us are like we're still missing that piece. But some of us aren't even trying to the point of that piece. And so that's what you have to identify. And I think that's what I do identify to a certain extent, at least more so now than I was doing before, where I can see like, bro, even if I do help, you might fumble it because obviously you're not even doing what you got with what you have or doing what you could with what you have, at least. For sure, for sure, for sure. That last yeah. episode was fire. I listened to it. I was like, that was a good episode. I think what helps is the microphone. Y'all gotta make sure let, let me know if the microphone's not working when it isn't. It makes it a more pleasant experience. Real soothing. All good, all good. 
So, Tremaine, um, how were you able to? What's the what's your course on? What's the name of the course? Am I muted? Oh, he's frozen. Folks, be sure to join the Millionaire family with us at MoneyTeamTC.com. Back to Patreon. Get exclusive episodes from Charles, myself, and Michelle Welch. It's for all the fans of both the Millionaire Talk Show and Tweet Talk. You get private sessions with people like Tremaine that come in and speak on certain topics that we just can't put on YouTube like that. And the public, join Join us, moneyteamtc.com. These episodes be running long. Whenever we have a guest, it's like a, a, a long episode. Hit him with another tweet. Right. So you um, that looks way better. Oh, dang it. That looks way better, man. What is this? The iPhone? Yep. <laughs> so what was the other one? The laptop? Yep, MacBook. Those MacBook cameras be kind of mid. Yeah, I see. <laughs> Even the iMac camera is kind of whack. I'm on an iMac and this thing is kind of whack. <laughs> what was your question, Raphael? It sounded like you was asking me something before it lost touch. Yeah. Um, I was asking what was the name of your course? Oh, nine to five landlord and one-on-one. Got you. What what they learn in there? Um, so they learn everything from how to price your rentals, um, establishing what's called your tenant requirements. So everything from the minimum income you want them to make, um, credit score, um, background do you accept evictions if they 10 years old or is it just no evictions at all because a lot of times you know when you put a place up for rent you don't think of it as a whole bunch of applications are going to come but it's actually a housing shortage in america so you can literally get 40 applications in one day and it's like how do you go through all those applications that kind of weed out who you want you got to have these requirements so i'll talk about things like that things to watch out for and just things i do so that way i'm not able to, i don't have to be present at my properties whenever there's problems like I put a lockbox on all of my properties with a key to get inside of each unit. So if a tenant has a problem and they go to work and they're going to be gone all day, I'll just call the specialist that's fixing it, like the electrician or the plumber, give him key access. He goes to fix it. I don't have to leave my job. You know, I'll talk about things like getting the P.O. box or, you know, cash app or Venmo. We're going to collect rent. You know, we're not pulling up for rent. That's like the dumbest thing you can do on, on earth to me. So it's just like things that I do and use to make me able to focus on my job while still, you know, managing property. Hmm. That's interesting. You said that uh, pulling up to the, um, to the property to collect rent in person is the dumbest thing ever. Nor is it time consuming. It reminds me of, I don't know if you guys ever read the first Donald Trump book, the art of the deal. Of course. He was, he was talking about how when he was younger and he went, to collect rents with like the property manager or whoever from his father's company. And they went to a building and the guy told him, when you go to the door to collect the rent, you always stand to the side of the door and just knock. That way, if the person in there is mad, they decide to shoot. The worst that happens is your arm gets hit. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's crazy. You I think I tried from experience too. Somebody probably got blown away, man. <laughs> yeah. So I think that was part of the reason why Donald Trump only deals with like high end properties and luxury real estate. That's part of probably part of the reason. Yeah, his dad got started in like lower end stuff. Yeah, that's all he did. He he did um his father built a lot of property in Jamaica Queens and parts of Brooklyn. So that, especially at that time, the real estate was really cheap. Yeah. So he built a lot of affordable housing, quote unquote. 
And then when Donald Trump came along and told him, he, well, he wants to go to Manhattan, his father was like, you crazy. Manhattan is like $1,000 a square foot or whatever the price was. It was like crazy. It was a ridiculous multiple versus um, Brooklyn and Queens. So his father thought he was crazy, but he still backed him, though. He thought it was nuts, but he still supported him. You're supposed to. That's what you're supposed to do, man. And look how that turned out. And Donald Trump look how it turned his, his out. Name up. It turned out well for both him and his dad. His, his, I'm sure that Donald Trump's success also impacted his father's success, which is interesting if you think about it, because no matter how successful you are as a, as a father, getting behind your son could actually make you become more successful. Jeff Bezos' parents mm. were success, successful. Bill Gates' parents were successful. Bill Gates' dad was right. a Harvard attorney. Um, I'm not sure what Jeff Bezos' parents did, but they did they did something good enough so they could write him a $300,000 check. I don't know what it was. I need to figure it out. But that's the gym. And that's one thing I always like. I, I want my son to do certain things, but I also just want to like fully invest in what he wants to do and get behind what he wants to do and support him and make sure that's successful. That's my goal. Right. And you kid, a- brother? Yeah, I got a one year old. A one year. Wow. A one year old man. How has fatherhood changed your life? It's it's just I think whatever I was trying to do is just emulated why I gotta do it. Like no questions at all. Like before I had a kid, I feel like sometimes when you have a kid after you kind of get established in life, you're really able to really try to dictate what's going on. And you kind of more I wouldn't say more controlling, but you're able to control more of what's going on. Like your time and things of that such. So for me, I was kind of always on like the road to wealth prior to my son but it just highlighted like okay you can't play like i'm really i wouldn't say short fields with people but i'm sure feels in the kind of bs now because it's like i got a son to feed fam so i ain't really trying to hear excuses yep mm. yep 100 Raphael, how has fatherhood changed your life who was Raphael before the kids i know you got grown kids but what were you like before you had kids versus now we never asked you this question you know a long time when i was a kid teenager whatever i never cared about money like at all really um, as long as you get through the day, like whatever. And I, I remember when I was younger, I was like wondering why, like, why would I care about being rich or whatever? Like, and then it hit me when you get a family, it's like, ah, okay, this is why you want to get rich. You got people to provide for, and you want to leave something behind for them. Like when you, when you got to take care of other people, there's a whole different level of responsibility. Like it's not even close. Then you by yourself, if even if you lose your apartment, lose your, your home, you could figure it out. You could live in your car. You could do it for for a short stretch of time. Then you got a family, like different level of stress, different level of responsibility, like grows you up quick, man. For sure. Now Tremaine, what's the what's your Instagram again? Nine two five landlord four one four. And you had a post where you said once I identify what I'm trying to do. And where I'm trying to go, I can take everything that come with it, good or bad. Clarity is everything. Um, yeah, yeah. That that was just about a lot of times, you know, being ambitious is cool, but I feel like, you know, when you're ambitious in the beginning, I feel like it's a lot of people that you feel like are like you as far as when it comes to ambition. But over time, things feel allowed as far as with others. And I think that biggest thing is because they wanted the same thing I wanted, but they didn't want to go through the problems that came with getting to where they eventually wanted to get to. So, you know, I got that from Nipsey Hustle because that's something I really listen to a lot. But it's just like, yeah, you know, you, you can't want greatness and then you don't want to be in pain or, you know, you can't want to be, you know, legendary and then not want to go through things. So my whole thing is, you know, once I identify the finish line, 
everything that's going to happen to me along that race, good or bad, I'm going to embrace because it's part of the process of getting there. And that's the ultimate goal. Mm, get in there. Clarity. Get clarity, folks. Get clarity. Now, Charles, you kind of touched on this earlier, but you had a tweet where you said it's tough to bring the people you're with now to the places you want to go. You will just have to make new friends at the new place. Facts. We touched on this earlier, man. We definitely touched on this earlier. We were talking about making golf friends. Um, and uh, speaking of making golf friends, I just got in, inducted into the, the die, hold, die Hard Bolt Club Inland Empire uh, chat. Everybody's all nice. They're like, hey, welcome, Charles. Welcome. This is dope, man. I got season ticket holder fa- friends now. <laughs> and you know what's dope about when you make friends at the level that you either want to be at or you're on? Is usually there's some quality people. I play golf with retired business owners all the time. I play golf with people who own their own franchise all the time. I go play golf with like high quality people. It's not a lot of bums on the golf course. I ain't met one. I've not met one. Um, it's not a lot of bums in the 100 level seats with season tickets. It's just not a lot of bums. And so it's actually better to make friends where you're going than bring your current friends to where you're going because you're going to meet people who are on your level and maybe when you were at that level you probably were trying to get them to understand if they can come with you and they rejected it and they fought it and now you can get into a space where you don't have to convince anybody convincing Mm -hmm. people takes time away from execution Mm -hmm. and you can't make no money if you ain't executing so therefore, I need to get away from people who want to debate me and want to like question me and second guess me. Man, it is so annoying. I always be wondering, um, like people always be second guessing me all the time. And I don't get it. I don't second guess them, but they love second guessing me. And like so multiple instances happen when we were at like just different places. I'm not going to use specific examples because I don't want to make anybody mad at me. But like, I just noticed, like, I'll do something and folks will be like, oh, don't do that. Oh, don't do that. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. I'm like, bro, like, I can, I, I'm 35. I got this, man. I got this. And I just, I don't know why people be second guessing my question, my decision making. I don't know why. But basically, all I'll say is that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to meet some dope friends in my new um, club. And I was worried because when I was sending the application, he was like, oh, what are your social media handles? And I was like, oh, they're going to see all the crazy stuff I'll be talking about on Twitter. <laughs> but, you know, in the midst of some of my crazy is a lot of positivity and uplift. So I might. And, but in, and even like and, and this is and this is something to be to, for people to kind of understand is even the things that I said that you might interpret as negative aren't actually negative. I want them to go to a positive place. And so people will see me getting on the Internet talking about or actually like battling against this whole idea that we're seeing about like people and what they're expecting from like marriage or relationships. And they might think I'm taking something from them instead of giving something to them. We live in a society where things have evolved, but folks don't want to evolve. They'd be like, Oh, I know that things have evolved, but I'm a traditionalist. Like, but we don't live in a traditional world. We live in a modern world. So maybe you want to do some modern ass shit. That's like folks out there like, I know the microwaves exist, but I'm going to still not use a microwave. Like, no, we use microwaves now. No, we use Netflix. You don't got to only watch Channel 3. You don't only got to, like, they over there, like, HDMI exists, and they're still trying to use coax cable. I'm a traditionalist. All right, Sam. You might want to bring it up to HDMI times so you can thrive in this space as opposed to just being coax and then wondering why your picture's all fuzzy. Just saying. 
So, but but that's all with love. I want us to be in a place where we can understand that you're not losing anything by working with a man. If anything, you're going to gain. If you look at the strong couples on the internet, it's two folks getting it. It's not just whatever their fantasy is. And that's why, like, the married women, they get it. You don't ever see no married women in that nonsense. It's always the single and optimistic. It's always those type. <laughs> And I've, I've called them out. And I was like, why don't you guys get in this conversation and let these girls know like what, what the real of it is? And they're just like, I don't know. They just don't feel comfortable because I feel like they get attacked or they just feel like it wouldn't be it wouldn't be received well. But you don't have to hear them talk. All you got to do is watch. All you got to do is watch the folks who are winning. You see it. Yeah. Really together. Yep. She's a lawyer. They got dope stuff going. You got like Petway Estates. You got like Hood Estates. You got um, Black Business Click. Black Business Click. And we should have the Hartra money here next week. She hustles harder. I'm not, he don't like when I say this. I won't say she hustles harder. She, just, she hustles as hard. They both be yeah. grinding. Before she went on maternity leave, she still had all her part time jobs, even though they got like a million dollar company. He retired from the, from the workforce and she still has. Not only her high income paying job, but she had a part time job still. Mm, a real boss. Hopefully, she will join the um the episode next week too. I'm not we sure. Need she's dig in, we need to dig in her thought process a lot more. We I'm curious what how she thinks. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. I think she. I think she's. Uh, I think she's has Caribbean background though. I think so. I think she might be yeah. Jamaican. They, I know they're both accent. from New York. I know they're yeah. both from New York and. Now they started a podcast, and Tremaine, you got a podcast too, right? Yep. yep. So, um, one thing that I noticed, and I listen to a lot of podcasts—not this one, but a lot of other ones—is you know, if somebody, let's for instance, they had a job, but then they like real estate. When they tell the story, it's like I had a job, I started in real estate, and now I'm retired. And nobody really shared that journey of what was it like juggling into, and a lot of podcasts I was listening to, so. Along with uh, Zena, shout out to my co-host Zena at Zena Dixon Inc. We decided to come together and kind of start a podcast to tell that story of those that, even if you are retired from your nine to five, just sharing that journey of what was it like, you know, doing it too. Because I feel like a lot of times that's kind of skipped over and we just kind of get into just being retired when it's like, you know, what you did while you were trying to retire is equally as important, if not more. So. That's kind of why we started the podcast. Uh, that's cool. Shout out to Zena too. She Zena's a big time hustler. She yeah, big she time hustler. For sure. Zena his co-host. Um she came in and spoke to the um the mastermind one time. I got her to come okay. speak to the mastermind one time. She um I think she's in IT. Yeah. Or uh, yeah, and she got like uh, real estate in I think Chicago or something like that. Yep, yep. She got her first four unit last year while working. I was a software developer, so yep. And she's from Jersey City. Shout out to Jersey City. It's like a lot of stuff makes sense. Anyway, and these guys got the course. I was like, she bought the the full course. I was like. Oh, cool. When y'all guys gonna um start the podcast? And she said, Oh, we already started from your checklist. That's dope. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we decided to do it, she she got your course. We came together. We had a meeting on kind of how to do it and all that. We recorded and just started. Like one thing I got from y'all, I'm sure you got this from somebody else, or you maybe got it from yourself. It's the uh, the whole start now, get fancy later. Like that's kind of like my mentality when it comes to everything. Like you know, when you first start something, you're probably not gonna be the best, but you know, it's about starting more than anything. So that's kind of how we was the pod. We just decided we wanted to do it, started started recording, and you know. Been up since then. I came a long way because I remember after you guys bought the course and I went to listen to the first episode. I'm hearing all this noise in the background. I'm like, man, this dude must got like a wooden chair or something. It's an older chair, man. (laughs) And y'all came a long way, but you got to get started, get fancy later. Drop in the the link to the uh, checklist in the chat. In the chat. Now, it was. Another one I want to touch on real quick. Where is that joint? Now, Charles, you you talking about you had a tweet. No, you talking about golf in this tweet, but I think it also relates to you was talking about uh, options trading the other day. The tweet says, "The more shots I hit in practice, the better I perform." But you were saying I be golfing, day, mm-hmm. I be golfing a lot, but I don't be practicing a lot. And I always tell people when it comes to like. Uh, trading is you need to practice nobody wants to practice but i had this thought the other day when i was talking to somebody about the value of practice a lot of people when they when they do options the goal is to make money and so they skip right to the trying to make money part and i say trying i didn't say making money because if you haven't refined the skill yet it's gonna be a lot of trying and not a lot of actually making money and so the reason why you want to practice and and why some people kind of like say, oh, I don't feel like you should practice is because they're like, it's not the same thing. You don't get the emotion. If you lose, you're not as motivated. If you win, you're not as excited. But it's not about the wins or the losses in practice. It's about the technique. We practice to refine the technique so that when we do perform, we're performing at a high level. So then if we do lose or win, we're getting better feedback because now we're performing at a higher level. We're not just out there just blindly throwing stuff at something so that then even if we lose, we don't really, we got to go back to the entire drawing board. If we win now we're blinded by that. And so I took that same principle and applied it to golf. Todd consultant presents the vending machine business webinar. You can only have one job, but you can have as many vending machines as you want. This is your chance to see how we do business and how you can start your very own vending machine business. Avoid the mistakes we made and start winning. You'll be shown how we find, negotiate, buy, and manage our vending machine business, generating thousands per month, and how it has unlimited scale. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to Gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. I was like, I probably golf like maybe three or four times a week, but I don't practice three or four times a week. And he said that amateurs practice, amateurs play more than they practice, and professionals practice more than they play. And I'm always reminded of Kobe Bryant and how much practice he put into it. Or I'm not sure Michael Jordan practiced as much as Kobe did, but Kobe practiced. And Kobe was a much better shooter than Michael Jordan. He wasn't nearly as like, I would say, Jordan-esque. He had a lot of Jordan qualities about him, but Kobe was a great shooter. Like, there is a point in Kobe's career he does not miss. Why? Because he practiced. He practiced. LeBron is not a great shooter. And I don't care what y'all tell me. He sucks at shooting. He's never been a great shooter. And when the shot does go in, it's ugly. Every time LeBron's shot goes in, it'd be hitting off the back of the rim. Like, bruh, like, 
It ain't even a good looking shot. He'd be happy it made it. He'd be banking three pointers and stuff. I don't think he practices that. I think LeBron leans on skill. I was listening to a really good interview, and this guy was talking about how role players create stars and stars create busts because a lot of times stars can't even explain to you how they did it. It was God given. Shaq was just born that way. LeBron was born that way. LeBron's son, if he was as big as LeBron, he would be as good as LeBron. But he's really not that great. He's not that. He's just average. I, I watched a game with LeBron's son, and you could tell who had talent, and you could tell who was LeBron's son. LeBron's son, they they didn't let him take take the last shot. He was out there, probably because LeBron be donating a bunch of money to the school. But, like, there was a kid <laughs> on that team. I don't know who he was, but he was hoping. I was very impressed with that kid. You could just tell talent, confidence. He had it. I bring it up because, like, real skill set comes through practice. And, I mean, a lot of us can have talent. And this is why I I, le- I like to celebrate the business owners as opposed to, like, the athletes and the entertainers because some folks are just gifted. And if you aren't gifted, then you have to just accept that success is not for you. But I don't like that. I like the idea that there's somebody who is not gifted, is average, but could still rise to the top. So I study those people. Those are the folks that I want to figure out how they did it. I'm looking up to the people who... Like, yeah, Rick Ross is an entrepreneur. Yeah, all these folks are entrepreneurs, DJ Khaled. But they're more of a brand than they are like somebody who had to figure some stuff out. And none of us are DJ Khaled. None of us are LeBron James. So we got to figure out the non-LeBron James how to get to a billion dollars. And so I'm going to look at that. And a lot of times that comes through practice, that comes through hitting those shots, that comes through showing up and putting all that effort in outside of the actual practice of doing things. It's kind of like the... A lot of a lot of real estate investors don't want to analyze deals that aren't the deal that they're buying. And so they buy, buy bad deals. But what they tell you is you should analyze like 100 deals just for the sake of analyzing them. And most folks will never do that. They're just buying bad deals. We're talking practice. <laughs> talking practice. The, another thing, too, um, it builds a skill set so that you don't have to think so much in the game. Quote unquote. That's the that's another big reason for practice. Like when you get in the game, you could just react to situations. Instead of having to think, thinking takes time. You want to be able to see patterns and react and do the right thing and keep it flowing, at least in sports. For sure. And I know my man Tremaine was doing practice for a while, listening to podcasts and joining groups. Yeah, 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 for sure. And um, it's nothing I'm probably going to add to that the reason why I had to do that is because I couldn't afford to pay for no mentorship. Like, it's crazy because I was doing a um, – uh, interview the other day and they were kind of going over you know who they had as far as mentors and they had like three different mentors i'm just like damn you know what they were saying i'm like dang i didn't really have i didn't have no mentors like my whole thing was kind of organic and just research and it's like you know when you can't afford to pay for somebody else to teach you you have to divulge yourself into information that they will teach you so that's kind of how my thing went about right 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 so we're gonna wrap this up jermaine let them um Oh, just one last, one last thing I want to touch on. So, Ch- Charles, you and Michelle did an episode yesterday with uh, Sanchez Berry. Very, very dope episode for the Millionaire Talk Show. And you guys said something in that one I just want to touch on because I think this is a good episode for it. Because you said every entrepreneur was a great worker or is a great worker. And you were saying, like, you got to be dope. You got to be pretty much a dope worker when you're an employee or else you're probably not going to make a good entrepreneur. What do you got to say about that nine to five? That's a fact. That is a fact. That's a hundred percent fact. And I'll tell you why, because 
before I left my nine to five, I, I mean, I ain't live, right? It actually let me go. I wasn't a good worker, but I would say when I get off of work, I'm gonna work hard and I'm gonna go hard on this real estate thing. But it's like the two are the same. Like, how can you, how can you be off, you know, for eight hours of the day Then you're going to get off and just turn on and all of a sudden be this hardworking person. Like you, you gotta be on and you know, the cliche of, you know, how you do something is how you do everything. I think that really is true because you know, you can't you can't be lagging all day and just think you don't just turn this button on. And you know, the long term effect of it, you know, let's say it takes me seven years to get to the point where I retire, right? During that time, there are skills I could learn at my job. There's things that I could do in my job to increase my salary, which will therefore decrease the time it's gonna take me to leave. So it's like to have this plan of I'm gonna just barely get by and I'm gonna just retire. It's like that's really the hardest way possible because you essentially kind of making it three times as hard as yourself by turning your thinking cap off a whole period of the day. So I definitely mm-hmm. agree with that. Sure, it's yeah. interesting because um, I would say that I didn't really become like a great, great entrepreneur until I became like a great, great employee. Like I, I've gone through situations where I was like slacking on the job to do well in business or attempt to do well in business and it didn't work. And then when I kind of went all in, I was like, you know what? I had uh, a job with the firm. I was enjoying it. It was in downtown LA. I love downtown LA. I was motivated to go there every day, be there, stay there. I feel like that same motivation, inspiration, and drive translated into my business versus like either or. It's like they say, how you do anything is how you do everything. So if you work and you suck in one space, you're going to suck in your business. And you're going to be like, oh man, business must not be for me. Or maybe my job's just not for me. Like, and I've had... I'm telling you, I've had jobs that I sucked at. I really have. I'm trying to think of one, but I have. I've had jobs that I sucked at. <laughs> and I just wasn't motivated to be there. But when I got into a space where I enjoyed it and I was going above and beyond, I started to go above and beyond in my business. And in business, you must go above and beyond. You can't just barely meet the mark. You can't even miss the mark. You got to blow their mind every opportunity that you get. And I think that's important. Because then you become conflicted. You're like, man, I'm doing so well here. Should I do my own thing? And I think that's what the hard dog battle with a lot is like, man, I'm doing so well in my job. Should I do my own thing? I'm doing so well here. But I think that's what you should strive for. Strive for that conflict. Once you get to that space mentally, now we're talking. But if you're slacking at work and you're like, entrepreneurship is going to save you, it ain't going to save you, fam. Because mm-hmm. you got to, whatever you're doing as an employee, to make it as a business owner, you probably got to do 10 times that. Like, it is hard. You got to show up. You got to be on the road. We be working. People think I'll be taking trips. No, I'll be working. <laughs> it's all work. So, yeah, man. For sure. So, Tremaine Robertson, let them know where they can find you on Instagram. I mean, on social media. Give them the social media handles, the websites, whatever, the podcast, all that. Okay. Um, you can find me at nine, the number nine, two, five landlord, four, one, four. You can follow my podcast at official nine, two, five CEO podcast. And, you know, uh, hit me up, DM me if you got any questions about, you know, real estate and landlord. And that's actually what I do. I have a course called nine, two, five landlord and where I teach others how to be a landlord while working a demanding nine to five, because before you're this full-time entrepreneur, you're probably going to be juggling it too. His job is demanding, man. Being an accountant is hard work. It but is. I want you to, I, I want you to be free, man. So 
Um, I'm kind of like disappointed that you didn't reach out before you went back. Cause I think that like, we got to help each other stay out or we got to help each other get out or we got to help each other do both, but we should all be helping each other. So whatever that looks like, um, let's make it happen. I'm glad we got on this podcast. I'm glad we got a chance to talk, which we've talked before, which is kind of cool. So I didn't have too much questions to ask about your background. Cause <laughs> I already know your background. We've had multiple Instagram lives. You guys should go check those out. Um, but I think you're doing a dope thing. Like you did what was right for you. F what the internet thinks. F what you might think. Tweet talk might thinks. Man, when tweet talk supports you and whatever you got going on. So if you think that's what's best yeah. for you, we support it, man. Appreciate it, bro. And that's kind of why my my Instagram name is what it is because one thing I see that's kind of often talked down is like having a job one and then tools. Whenever people talk about real estate, they never talk about landlording. And those are two essential things you're gonna probably have to do before you be this big full-time entrepreneur if you want to be into real estate so i'm gonna just embody what's not popular because what's not popular today will be popular tomorrow so yeah for sure i appreciate you and Raphael for having me on here i'm gonna listen to this episode just like listen to the rest of them and you know let me know if there's anything y'all need me to do in the future man i'm here yeah for sure Raphael, why do people think i hate jobs man because you say you hate jobs <laughs> <laughs> i'm from harlem man what do you expect <laughs> and i think Here's, here's another problem is that you do like justify it sometimes, but most of the times you just say F these jobs, but you do say explain why. I don't think you explain enough sometimes. Yeah, I, I but, mean, I think when he say F these jobs, I don't think he's saying F these jobs. I think he's just saying the mind frame of what the job is trying to have you thinking. You know what I mean? Like he might say a phrase that's like, well, my boss didn't want me to have this. And he'd be like, F these jobs. I don't think he's saying F having a job if it's a stepping stone. I think he's just saying more necessarily F the mentality of what a job wants you to think about yourself. That's kind of what I took from it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, because there's a lot of things that you hate that you should still kind of do. <laughs> it's like me saying, like, I hate exercise. Like, bro, like you, you should still probably do it. If you do, if you avoid the things that you should be doing, like I'm just saying, you might end up like upset and out of shape physically, financially, mentally. You know, sometimes like being married ain't the most lit, but it's something you got to do, you know? <laughs> Sometimes being a father is not the most lit, but you got to do it. Man, I was going through it last night with mine, man. I can definitely attest to that as far as <laughs> And you know what? I, there, was a, there was a question I wanted to ask you. I just <laughs> remembered. Um, Tremaine, being an accountant, how how has that been an advantage for you? I know it has to be an advantage. She called the business, man. Like... When I do taxes, I run into so many different businesses, fam. I run into restaurants, uh, real estate, uh, mom and pop shops. I run into so many different things, and I'm able to see what they do over the course of the year. So I'm able to see their good moms, their bad moms. Okay, they had 10 employees. Okay, down. Now they got, and I'm also able to see how they manage money. And one thing that I will say is that I found out, which is kind of crazy. I don't know if you guys know, but most, it's a lot of people that make a million dollars, but they live check to check. And I experienced this when I did a tax return to somebody. So one was a dentist. The other one was like a doctor, right? And they grossed about $1.1 million. Oof. And I got the tax return. They probably owed around 20 grand. So I hit my manager. I'm like, yo, they earned 20,000. You could tell them to, you know, send a wire in, however you guys do it. And he was like, well, uh, we got to get them some time for something, something, something. And I'm like, what do you mean? They just made $1.1 million. And he was like, yeah, but um, they got to try to come up with the money because, you know, most people that gross that amount of money, they still live check to check. 
And I was yeah. floored when I heard that. But what it taught me is that no matter where I'm at, I got to make sure I manage my money to where I'm not in a position like that. Because what's the point of saying I made a million dollars if you ain't to get paid Friday just like the next person? Mm. Grossing a million and netting a million are two different things. <laughs> and also, there are a lot of people. It's sad, man. What's your take on all these people who are like writing off all their income um, so that they could save money on taxes? Let me get into that. Okay. So if you are a business that's at a point where you're not, where you're cool with not growing and nine times out of 10 growing consists of financing things, getting lending from banks to open up more locations, something to do with finance or something for the future. If you are at a point where you don't need that or want that growth, then right enough makes sense. However, the information I'm seeing being projected out there is the business that's operating year one through five. That's not even consistent. You want them to write off everything. And the long term effect of that is you don't have a profitable business. So let's say I take that advice and I make 50 grand my first year in business. And then I'll come up with 50,000 in expenses to write that same thing off. And I have a net income. Like Todd said, it's not about what you gross. It's about what you net. I have a net income of zero. In two years, when I go to the bank, because now I want to grow, I want to expand. I want to have a bigger building. They're going to look at your profit and loss sheet and be like, why should we lend to you? You don't even make money. You don't even take home money. Ooh. So it's like the shortcuts really end up in the longer route because now you got to regroup and go another two years of actually being profitable mm -hmm. and actually paying taxes. So it's like, I feel like conceptually, I think where people kind of go wrong is they see what the rich do and they try to give it to the middle class. Mm. Like you ain't rich fam, you middle class. So that tax strategy that worked out on him was good because he has everything that he wants. You trying to get there. So why you had the same strategy of a person that's netting a million dollars when you're grossing 50,000? Yeah. Wow. And I think that's important. There's a lot of really things to say there. Um, I think one thing you said that he has everything that he needs and that's important. Like he probably already has a house taken care of, has a car taken care of, has everything else situated so much so that he's still doing business for the sake of doing business. And he doesn't want to take that tax liability. So it makes sense. He has bread. And the other thing is, a lot of the people who are making money but still living check to check are running their business that way, where they're trying to avoid taxes into the poorhouse. They're going broke to avoid paying taxes. I was like, it don't make no sense. I'd rather just pay the taxes. It happened to my barber. He didn't want to pay taxes. Now he can't buy a house, respectfully. Mm. Um, he's going he's gonna to get there, but it's like it holds you back. I probably shouldn't use that specific example. My bad. He might be watching this, but because <laughs> um, he probably like it. But, but like, seriously, like, there's a lot of like if you only if you make a million you only got to make a million dollars one time. Do you know much? You know what you can do with a million dollars if you actually keep it instead of throwing it all the way to avoid taxes. You can never have to. You could do what I do: play golf. I play golf because I took the money, I invested the money, and then you can also leverage the money to even have more investments. So now your investments buy you more investments. And so let's say, for example, instead of you made two hundred thousand dollars, you wrote it all off, so you don't show any income, so you don't have to pay taxes. But you could have invested, you could have just paid your little 20% taxes, paid them 40 grand, bought your house, and then your house can go up 100 grand. Right. So to avoid losing 40 grand, you lost 100 grand. You're like trading pennies for quarters. You're trading quarters for pennies, basically. You're giving away big money to, and you're missing out the actual opportunity that's there. 
No, no, no. That's a fact. That's a fact. It's kind of um, it's kind of weird being an accountant and just seeing information on social media because if you imply say accurate information, you're kind of a hater. And then it's like if you just let people keep going through what people saying, then you just let people be misguided. So I kind of, if somebody asks me personally, I'll answer the question. But it's like it's a lot of it's a lot of bad information out there long term as far as the cause and benefit of it. Hmm. That's cool. When I spot stuff that looks stupid, I'll be like, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you why it's stupid. I just know it's stupid. Like yeah. I, I, people tried to convince me to get the PPP loan. I was like, why would, I, why would I get a PPP loan? I don't need a PP loan, PPP loan. Like I don't got no employees. I don't have anything that I really need. I'm not, my business isn't suffering due to COVID. Why would I get a PP loan? Just cause it's free money. That's stupid. I thought you was going to be wagging. Right, get a PP. <laughs> now, don't even put that on my on my thing. You know they're gonna be listening. They're like, "Oh, what? We need to go make a call. See if he bought a G wagon." <laughs> oh, she said, "Don't get them started on the G wagons." I mean, it's it's. I don't. It's interesting. I don't know, the man. G wagons to me that that that's so crazy. It makes no sense for ninety nine percent of people. But ninety nine, so. Let's let's talk about this stuff because I never get to speak out as, as an accountant about certain things. That's kind of yeah, like bad information. So the thought of somebody buying a two hundred thousand dollar car and being able to write it off, first of all, is being able to have at least two hundred thousand dollars of net income. You have to have two hundred thousand dollars worth of taxable net income for that to even make sense. One, two, you have to be cool with, like I said before going to a bank and be able to show them I didn't take home no money. And then, you know, so if you want to find out something going forward, it might be harder if you don't have previous years of paying taxes on high reported income. And then the third effect is even if you were to finance and you put 15,000 down, you write the car off, you still got that note for the next four to five years, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it, it depends. You got to be at that level where you're going to like 4k a month on that note. Thirty-six hundred, maybe something like that. So you gotta be in a position where you can consistently bring that in year in and year out. So it's like hearing somebody saying in year two they trying to do that. That's kind of a stretch. It's like you don't even know what your bit. You haven't even been through the highs and lows of your business. You only know what you really average out to. So it's it's like, like, are I, you really are you really in business to be in business? Or are you in business to, just to get like a, the stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's one reason why like, I kind of respect what you do is because one thing that I see is a lot of times entrepreneurs or influencers, they'll become successful selling something and they won't do no business outside of just selling something, right? So a lot of times somebody might buy one building in real estate, they sell a course on real estate that makes them all the money and they start buying real estate. And it's like, are you a business person or are you just somebody that just sells things? Because it's a difference. And it's like... <laughs> You know, for you, you've always been into different ventures, no matter what it was that you were selling. You never let that be the one thing that you do and only do. I think a problem, too, is the people that don't I love the game. I love the hustle. People that don't really know what they're talking about, like these new people getting into the business is like, can you explain to people what writing something off really is? Because people seem to think that writing something off means you get it for free. Yeah, that's exactly what they think. That's the problem. They think you mean get it for free, but it's really, it's really, and you can correct me since you're an actual accountant, but writing something off means you spend a dollar, you're giving a dollar to the, the dealership so you don't have to give 25 cents to the 
IRS. Yeah, that's 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 pretty uh yeah, that's pretty much what it is. So it's like let's say for instance you got a business, you got twenty thousand in income, ten thousand in expenses, they're saying go out and go spend some more money. So that way when you report that same money to IRS, you pay them less. But it's like the long term benefit of paying the IRS compared to a dealership is probably gonna be way more IRS because when you go in for financing, banks love to see a profitable company that reports their income because you look more lendable, it's more presentable. So you'll probably be able to easier go get multiple loans or financing improvements for different things as opposed to just, oh, well, Ben's know me. I done bought three cars from there. So they ain't gonna help you finance that building, though. And like, you gotta say, we said like a $200,000 car, like do you, to those listening to this, does it make sense to you to spend $200,000 so you don't have to give somebody else fifty grand. How does that a deal? And you still have to give them two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> oh, it's like plus interest. You getting out of plus, plus interest and it's depreciating in value. Right. So you and let's just say, let's just say the best case scenario the G wagon appreciates because sometimes they do. Let's just say the anomaly happens and it appreciates. You still have to give them two hundred thousand dollars. So you literally alleviate not to giving the IRS, let's say forty or fifty thousand, to go give somebody else five times more than that. And then not only that, you go broke in the process. I didn't want to go broke to avoid paying taxes. That just didn't make sense to me. Mm. The name was Todd Millionaire. It was not Todd G Wagon. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Plus another I, thing. I wanted money people- more than I wanted the whips. So that discovering this um, quote unquote play and then they spreading it all over IG and all these people that brand new and don't know any better and following this silly advice, running to the dealership to try to get these G wagons, the price went up. And Donnie Wiggins said, or it was somebody said, I'm not, I don't think it was Donnie Wiggins. Somebody said, that's actually the car I want. But then I go to the dealership. I think it was Donnie Wiggins. And she went to the dealership, but the price was way higher than it was before. And she's like, I'm not going to spend that money on this car. Hey, y'all, so the price went up because y'all drove the price. Don't pay these inflated prices for this nonsense. I was at the golf courses the other day, and I had on my this watch, the Submariner. And the guy at the front, he was like, oh, that's a nice sub. And he was talking about how he just went and got like a strap for his Panerai. He was like, yeah, I'm just waiting for like the bottom to fall out of the Rolex market. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. He was like, it already is happening. And it is because you had these artists. Like the thing is, is. Don't just look at what the price is. Look at why the price is what the price is. So if the price is what the price is because of something that's temporary, you have to know that that shall pass. And when that does pass, the prices are going to go back down. So therefore, I'm not chasing it at the top. I'm not buying a whatever Rolex at $80,000 just because there's scarcity in the market. No, at one point in time, the market will loosen up and prices will be back normal. But you have some people who are just like, oh, I got to buy it now. I got to buy it now. And now, not only did you get your G-Wagon, you're probably going to be upside down in that joint as more become available and the price comes down because prices are coming down. They got to come down. Hey, Todd, a question I have for you. So um, I listened to a podcast of yours, a tweet talk one, of course. And um, in it, you said a lot of these influencers that you guys be seeing i know in real life a lot of them are struggling as in they're going on vacation they're showing you to sell a course on a credit card they're doing this and that to show you but it's on a credit card and they're out of debt so question for you one how did that change 
like your opinion as far as like, you know, marketing and just being able to tell who's doing what. And two, did that change as far as who you affiliate yourself with just because, you know, your name is everything when it comes I to that? I don't know. I don't really I don't I don't remember saying that, but I'm sure it's true. Um, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Because the way Instagram is set up these days, you don't really see a lot of people. <laughs> so it's like a lot of influencers. I don't even really see their pages anymore. All I really I go on Instagram. I scroll my my I scroll my personal stories. I post something and, and I'll be out. I don't really scroll the timeline, especially how they have it set up now where it's all reels. So I couldn't even tell you. Mm. I couldn't even tell you. Um, the only thing that I have noticed is I've noticed that people who made a lot of money and then spent it to, to, to like get write offs are still having to work right now. And that's sad. It's sad for you to have made a bunch of money and you still got to show up every day hoping somebody buys your stuff or hoping somebody wants to work with you. Like, that's crazy to me. What's the point? And and I think that's where, and one of the points I was going to make is we need the community to have more of the educated folks doing the talking and less of the folks who got a little bit of knowledge from some source, whatever it might be doing the talking. (laughs) You understand this stuff inside and out. You understand it thoroughly. You understand the business credit, you understand the taxes, you understand tax planning. I want to hear what you have to say, not what somebody who hasn't taken any of those courses has to say about these things. I want to hear what Charles has to say about whether or not there's a recession coming, about whether or not we should be looking into these stocks, about those different things. Because you're going to sound crazy in the moment when you're telling folks that like, hey, that might not be the stock to buy. That might not be what you should be doing with your money once you make it. That might not be boom, boom, boom. Because it's not fun, it's not fast, it's not easy. And a lot of stuff that the uneducated folks, and I say that respectfully, are saying is fun, fast, and easy. Whereas you have somebody else who's like, man, buy this stock, hold it for six months, and I think it'll correct back to its current value. Don't pay your, don't, don't write off all your money on taxes, keep it this way, because over the long term, you're going to be good. And I think that's one thing that college makes you, helps you do is understand the process, understand the long term. You don't just show up to college and then be there for a day and get a degree. No, you got to show up. You got to come back. You got to study. You got to wait. You got to do all those things. And that's why I think that a lot of us are comfortable with taking the long approach as opposed to expecting that quick thing. A lot of people who don't ever do anything is, isn't because they never tried. It's because it didn't happen fast enough when they did try. And so now they're like, ah, I'm going to just, it's ain't for me. Like, no, fam, grind it out, grind it out. For sure, for sure, for sure, man. Like he says, it's called a G wagon, not a free wagon. Cut it out. Cut it out. So I think we're going to actually wrap it up now. <laughs> Be sure to follow our brother Tremaine Robinson at 925 on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram at Tweet Talk Podcast. And follow Charles on Instagram at Todd Billion. And the parent company at Todd.Capital. Follow us on Twitter at TweetTalkPOD. That's TweetTalkPod. Follow myself on Twitter at WorkMoneyLife. And follow Charles on Twitter at RealToddBillion. Because there is no substitute for episode 134. I mean 135 of Tweet Talk, the Black Wolf Podcast. Just want to leave you guys with one last thought from the last episode where Charles says, You have to work your job until you don't have to work your job anymore. 
So for myself, Raphael, my co-host Charles, and our guest Tremaine, we are out of here. Yeah, yeah. Yes, this is Donald the Voice, the official podcast editor and producer of the Tweet Talk podcast, featuring, of course, Charles Oglesby and the man Raphael Husbands. And look, man, if you just listen to this episode, then you know exactly what I'm capable of. You know my swag, you know what I can do. And so without any further ado, I kind of want to give you a special offer for Tweet Talk podcast episode listeners. And here's what it is. Head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. And if you have podcasts or video editing needs, let's talk. And of course, I'm giving you a real, real nice deal. But you have to mention that you're a Tweet Talk podcast listener. And this offer isn't going to last forever. So if you're on social media or you have a business or you got something going on to where you need somebody to edit and produce your content, come and holla at your boy. And I promise to take care of you, our dedicated listener to the Tweet Talk podcast. Again, head over to DonaldTheVoice.com and hit the contact page and let's have a little conversation. Okay, back to your day, your evening, your morning, whatever's going on. Peace.